We are here this morning because all of us testify to the fact that we are convinced, that we are sure that 2,000 years ago, God became man. He taught for three years, was handed over, crucified, died, was buried, and then three days later rose from the dead, was seen by his apostles, was seen by as many as 5,000 people at once, ascended into heaven, sent his Holy Spirit, and is with us now, inspiring us to testify to that truth. We are here today, this morning, to celebrate that God died and rose from the dead. That's crazy. That's the most ridiculous story you could ever make up. And if someone made up that story, they would be foolish beyond belief. Except the story's true, and it's, it's not made up. And so it's the greatest story ever told. I think we sometimes, because of our familiarity with the story, it tends to maybe lose a little bit of its impact on us. Yeah, I'm going to church this morning. It's, you know, it's, it's Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, just a resurrection. No big deal. We're used to it. What are you going to do there? Well, priest is going to take bread and wine and turn him into God, and then I get to receive God into my soul, and it's kind of nice. Yeah. No, that's amazing. That's, that's incredible. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. That, that, who could make up a story like that? You're, you're going to go and receive God? Imagine trying to explain to that to someone who is not Catholic, not Christian, doesn't know about Jesus. Really, that's what you do every Sunday? I think we have kind of almost made our peace with the story that, yeah, you know, I get up, I brush my teeth, comb my hair, go to Mass, eat God, go to work. It's all just normal. For Paul, in his preaching, he, he realizes that this, this story is anything but normal. He comes right out and, and says it, that this, I preach Christ crucified. Christos, Christ, the, the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah. I preach a Messiah who was crucified, who was, in a worldly sense, completely conquered and obliterated, not just by his own people, they rejected him, but also by the Romans. Wait, wasn't the Messiah, wasn't his whole point to come and, like, overthrow the Romans, to restore the right order of God? And you're telling me your gospel, Paul, is that the Messiah came and the Romans crucified him after the Jewish leaders decided that he was a blasphemer and a heretic and condemned him to death. This is your gospel. Paul doesn't mince words. He's like, I know. <laughs> this is a stumbling block to Jews. How can the Messiah die? That doesn't make sense. Foolishness to Gentiles. They're looking for wisdom. What, what could be worse than wisdom incarnate? God himself comes and mere creatures wipe him out, <laughs> conquer him? That's foolishness. Paul says, I know, yeah, I preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. We, we really have to get in touch with just how in, incredible what it is that, that we believe. It's not simply that we've seen the evidence. There is some kind of a, a miracle that takes place that, that allows faith to grow in our hearts because the story that we believe is just incredible, and yet it's true. And so that's why Paul can say, but no, to those who are called, 
Kaleo, from which we get the word ecclesia, church. For those of us in the church, those who have been called together, notice it's not fundamentally something we do. It's not, you know, I think I'll, I think I'll join this church. I think I'll go be a part of this little society. No, there's, there's something much deeper. Paul says, to those who have been called, if we have been called, that's a, a passive voice construction of a verb. It's not we who call, it's not we who decide. We've been called. Whenever we, we see the, the passive voice in Scripture, that means we don't know who the subject is. Who's doing the calling? It's always God. We who have been called, well, who called us? God. We're not here because we just decided to be here. We're, we're here because somebody, God, has put in our hearts zeal for this, this story that we, we have to be here. We've been brought here. We've been called here. And we've said yes to something that was initiated by someone else. And that's a miracle. Therefore, for us, who have, we who have been called, Jews, Greeks alike, modern-day Christians, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. In other words, yeah, we know our story's crazy, and yet it's true, and so it's the greatest story ever told. We would make a great mistake if we thought that somehow we are, are here to, you know, kind of just get something for ourselves, to kind of enjoy the show, hope the preaching is good. Now, obviously, you guys don't have that problem here at St. Pat's. Preaching's always good. But some people in other churches would be disappointed if they came to Mass and, like, the homily wasn't good or the music wasn't good or the church didn't look right or the aesthetics weren't pleasing. And there, there are people who know this who use modern-day marketing to say, well, how do we get people to come to our church? Well, don't make it look like a church. Make it look like, a, you know, a performance theater. Put in nice, cushy chairs like at the movie theaters. Get people coffee when they come in. Make them comfortable. Give them a nice, inspiring kind of message. And don't challenge too much because you don't want to make people too uncomfortable while they're drinking their coffee in their comfy chair. And We can do that. I mean, we've got people who have degrees who study this over and over. How do we get people to do anything? You could do that. But we're not here to get something merely in the way of entertainment. Rather, we are here because we've been called and because we believe we have a, a duty to be here. We owe God something. It, it's part of the, the virtue of religion, which is a, a subset of justice. Justice means to give someone what they're due. God deserves our worship. Now, when we hear the word worship, we're like, oh, that's nice. I'm going to go and listen to the band play the praise and worship music. And, and I, I do that out, you know, outside of the, the divine worship of the holy sacrifice of the mass. I, I love to go in and sing and get together with my friends. And we, we, we play our Christian music and we throw our hands in the air and we pray out loud. And it is glorious and it's wonderful and it, it moves the heart. But that's not worship of God. It's not the worship God asks. That's the, the real interesting part of this story. If you want to know, how do you worship God? Well, God actually tells us, here's how I want to be worshipped. He spends the entire Old Testament helping his people understand, no, here's how you worship me. 
You know, he, he gives the Ten Commandments today to, to Moses and says, you want to love me? You want to worship me? Well, first, keep my commandments. Like, really? Talk about an unhappy message today. Don't give me a law to live by. I'm going to cramp my style. I'm free. I'm independent. Nobody rules me. So the first part of, of worship is to admit that, no, that there is somebody that has a claim on me who says, here is the law. I made you. Here is my law. Follow it. So you want to worship God, first thing you got to do is follow his law. But secondly, all the, the, the rituals, do we really need ritual? Liturgy? You Catholics, you do the same thing every week. Isn't that boring? Like, I talk to my Protestant friends who are preachers. They're like, you Catholic priests, you got it easy. You do the same thing every week. Me, if I do the same thing two weeks in a row, now I'm doing liturgy. We can't do that because we're Protestant. So I got to reinvent everything every week. It's got to be new. We do the same thing over and over. Why? Because God said so. <laughs> Father Sean did not come up, you know what, I think it'd be really cool if we kind of start by maybe we read some stuff and then I'll talk for a little bit and then we'll go do this kind of, I don't know, meal thing because people like to eat. That'd be cool, right? I mean, that'd be neat. I'll put those two things together. Boom, we got, I'll call it the mass. It'll be great. No, Jesus did this. <laughs> he created it. God did this. From the time of the Old Testament, what do they do? They got together in the synagogue in their town. They read the scriptures. They pulled out the scrolls. The rabbi gave a teaching. Then what did they do? They go to the temple. There they offer the sacrifice of a lamb in atonement for their sins. Wow, where did the church get this idea of, I don't know, let's talk about the scriptures and then let's, let's sacrifice a lamb, the lamb of God? That's weird. That's foolish. Except that's what God said to do for 2,000 years. And then Jesus shows up and John the Baptist says, there's the lamb of God. And then we, we see the Lamb of God slain on Calvary, on the cross. And as the Jews were warned to do at the time of Passover, as we read, you then had to eat the Lamb. The Lamb was sacrificed so that the angel of death would pass over and you had to eat the Lamb. Wow. Behold the Lamb of God. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lord. And we eat the Lamb. God tells us how he wants to be worshipped. I think sometimes we also take this for granted, that it doesn't really matter what we do on Sunday, does it? I mean, let's, let's play the music that we like, and, you know, let's, let's do the things that we like to do. And the beauty of being Catholic to say that, no, we, we don't choose the readings. I didn't choose them. They're in this book. Father Sean did not pick the readings. My Protestant friends are like, man, I got to pick readings. And then they're like, you know, I started using the lectionary that you Catholics use. I don't normally preach on a lot of this hard stuff. Yeah, it's, on, it's in the book. What do I say when I go to the altar? It's in the book. It's been in that book. That book is, is largely the book for 1,500 years, the Roman Missal. Think that's not important? Look at our gospel today. Jesus takes worship very seriously. He comes into the temple and he sees that people have made it ordinary. People have turned the temple into just another worldly place where they can do the things they want to do. I think in a very real way, if we want to get back in touch with the radicalness of the story of Jesus, we need to get back in touch with the radical craziness of the mass. This is incredible. We take bread and wine in an invisible way that we can't see, but that we know happens. Bread and wine become God. And then of all things, we eat God. Normally we, we eat food and it, it strengthens us and we take the food into us and the food becomes part of us. 
<clears throat> this food we, we eat and it gives us life and we become part of God. It's astounding. It's, it's a stumbling block. It's foolishness. It's a story that no one could believe, except it's real. So what keeps people from seeing the awesomeness of this story? Well, we do it every week, so there is a bit of habit. But maybe we just end with this. Do, do we make our church, our mass, the worship of God that he demands, have we made it, like we see in the scriptures today, just another worldly thing? Have we taken something sacred, set apart that God demands and made it just, well, what do we want it to be? How do we want to do the mass? Or even outside the Catholic Church, how do we want to worship God? How would we like to do it? Allow Jesus maybe to come in and just turn over the tables and say, no, this isn't what I asked. Go back to the scripture. Go back to the 2,000-year the tradition of the church. How does God ask to be worshipped? How has the church always done it? Nothing annoys me more these days when we invent something new. I've got a new idea for Mass. Yeah, as, as if the way we did it for 2,000 years, that just doesn't work anymore. We're too different. Come on. Jesus wants to, I think, upturn our tables and say, let's get in touch again with the radicalness of our story. If we really believe what we say we believe... That, that this is God that we receive on the altar, the same God who died <laughs> and rose from the dead. Well, why don't we act like it? And if we acted like it, maybe more people would believe and come to our church, and maybe it would, it would change everything. What we believe is astounding. Maybe we should act like it.